listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. what this passage has to say in light 
of what a lot of us are feeling and going through right now. So let's read the text, First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to see how you can actually do something about the pain and the brokenness that is in our world today. Because you look out there in the world, and there's clearly something rotten to the core, right? You had this other gunman. No father, absent father, mother's on drugs, living with his grandmother, unrestricted internet access, no friends, only only chat rooms and toxic internet internet chat room vibes going on. This this guy was a loner who dropped out of school after all the lockdowns happened. Violence, every all the red flags, all the warning signs were there, right? So what did he need? Do we need more legislation to fix that heart problem? Or do we need something else? Let's read what First Peter chapter 3 has to say about Christians in this present suffering. The three things we've been seeing throughout this book really fit to what our nation is walking through right now. We have living hope in Jesus Christ, we have present suffering right now, and we look ahead to future glory. That's what we've been seeing over and over again, and today is no different. First Peter 3, let's start in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. There's a lot here about how you can be different in this world of darkness. Not exchanging reviling for reviling, not, not evil for evil, but on the contrary, you bless. You bless. So, the question that all of us are asking, I've already proposed to you is, why is this world so fed up with more thoughts and prayers? Because I've heard that a few times. Why is the upstate of South Carolina growing at such a rapid rate, yet the churches are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking in their influence. Why is that? Well, it's because the church, the people of God, have gotten away 
from the message that we just read in His Word. By and large, we have stopped being zealous for what is good. We have stopped honoring Christ the Lord as holy and putting Him above everything else. We've stopped doing that. Too many times. There are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus who are just simply not living this way. They're living their life. So I have to ask you right now, what are you doing to bless others? It's very important that we get the order right because you can know the truth. You can know what you should be doing and you can, you can miss it completely if you don't do the right things in the right order, right? Like what if I was to say, um, what if I was to say, let me get this right, uh, the order, I mean, the order matters when you're cooking, when you're putting ingredients in, usually in a recipe, that, that, that can matter a lot, not always with, with mathematics, but let's say that, that you actually have to make an apology, and you go about it this way, you say, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry, but you hurt my feelings. Do you hear that apology? Do the order of that apology? I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, but you hurt my feelings. I've heard somebody say, like, basically the only thing that matters in those kind of apologies is what comes after the but. Because what comes after the but is what you really mean, right? So the order of that is going to leave someone with, you really sorry? Because all I'm hearing you say is, like, you don't like what I did. So instead of going about it with, I shouldn't have said that I'm sorry, but you hurt my feelings, you can use the exact same ingredients in a different order, and you can say, you hurt my feelings, but I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. You see how you switch the order around and, and see what a difference that makes? You hurt my feelings, but I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. If we don't get the order right, we will do more harm than good. And for far too long, the church, who is living in amongst a community, we're living this present life. We have neighbors. We have communities around us. Christians are nitpicking and fighting with other Christians about embarrassing things. I mean, these jump on social media. You can see Christian after Christian after Christian. Even in a week like this week. But we should be loving our neighbors. We should be reaching out, having conversations, loving conversations with people who are hurting. What are Christians yow-yowing about? This or that, or you didn't say what I thought you should say, and you could have said it this way, and how dare this person do this, and I am upset that you don't see it the way I see it. Church, that's killing our influence. That's killing our testimony. It's, it's allowing us to blend in and sound the same as the world around us, just about other issues that the world doesn't even care about. Christians are having more fun than they are focusing on being faithful. It's like, I love this, this is my hobby, my kids into this, and I, I do this and that. You can get so caught up into good gifts that God has given you that you place the gift over the giver. And we live in a culture where Christians 
spend more time figuring out how they can spend their money on the next fun thing than they're focused on being zealous for good works. It's really that simple. We have Christians who like to point fingers instead of take ownership. The same people who are condemning the church for doing nothing, you can see the problem, and you say, yeah, the church needs to do something about that. The church needs to pour into young men. I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. And I'm looking at a lot of the people in the church who are pouring into young men. And a lot of the people who are the loudest about not pouring into young men are the ones who faded out. Like a flicker in the wind. And they love to see all the problems and point out at what's, what's wrong. Because young men in this country have been run over. We live in a culture that has emasculated young men. It's hard to be it's hard to be a girl, it's also hard to be a boy. And you have men who young men who don't have loving fathers in their life that point them to Jesus Christ. And they don't have any hope. So you have this young man who just did this atrocity this week, who's experimenting with alternative lifestyles, he's he's threatening people, doing harm to animals, all of this terrible, wicked stuff you can see. He was screaming for help. The church has to help. But how does the church help? Not by you sitting on your recliner in your ivory tower, being the Monday morning quarterback who says, well, they should have done this and they should do more of this. The only way the church can help is when the people of God get active in the church. And if the church is ignited with people who love Jesus Christ, who look at what Jesus has done for me, and I have to share that with the world, well, then we're not putting out as many fires, right? I mean, we have our own problems to deal with, let's be honest. We live this world, and we have issues. There's bad bosses, there's family pain, there's all kinds of things that we're going to deal with no matter what. We're going we're gonna to have to struggle through a lot of those things on our own. We don't need to then compound it by, by making the problem even worse by looking at things that don't really even matter. Let them live their life the way Christ is leading them, leading them and you live your life the way Christ is leading you. Focus on what God has called you to do, your ministry. Who's your neighbor? Who's the person in front of you? That's who you're supposed to love. The little things truly add up. And when we're talking about a mental health health crisis that we have, when we're talking about online hatred and a toxic culture that radicalizes people, you ask, where is the church? And I have to say, you open up your Bible, you look right here, and you say, be zealous for good works love Jesus Christ, and point people to a loving Savior. Little things add up. Jesus said that if you, whoever is faithful in a little, will also be faithful in much. So if you're not faithfully making church a priority in your life, attending church and pouring into others and building others up with your words, that eventually catches up to you. That affects other people, right? If you simply do the loving things like serving the way God has led you and gifted you to serve, that builds up the church, and the church is stronger, and the church has a greater influence and reach in the community. It all works that way. 
Another thing that is so true is, as goes the home, so goes the church. As goes, as goes the church, so goes the nation. You can't get that out of order. If you just focus on your church, and I gotta serve, I gotta be here, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta be more, I gotta be better, and you don't focus on loving your family and having that time with the Lord, you're gonna get out of out of line and out of whack. Focus on what God has done for you, loving your family, being a, a father and a mother. I mean, if you're a mom today and you have kids. You have the greatest joy and gift and responsibility ever. You get to disciple little kids, your own kids, and raise them up to love Jesus and understand what this world is all about. Because they're going to go out one day into a scary, dark world. And if they don't have hope in Jesus, it's going to be way tougher than it needs to be. So what are you living zealously for? Once you get that, once you get that there is nothing greater than my Savior and what He's called me to do, and, and He is coming again, He's my living hope, I have to share what He's done for me to others. Once you get that, the rest of this passage makes a lot of sense. There's no fear. There's truly, there's truly nothing to fear. Another thing that Jesus said to His disciples when they were being persecuted, when the Pharisees were coming down on them, Jesus said, hey, don't fear those who can actually put you in the grave. Those people who can kill you, you don't need to worry about them. Worry about fear the, the actual losing your soul. Fear the one who can take your soul and, and because that's never going to go away. No one can get to your soul. Even if they do harm you, they're not truly harming you because you can live with no fear because no matter what happens to you God loves you and he has you in the palm of his hand and even if he takes you away from here you're in a better place that's what Peter was telling the church here that was being persecuted in 64 AD and not much has changed when we care more about God than we care about life on this earth then we will have compassion. Then we will care for people. And passion protects people from those who are trying to destroy them. Because it's like, hey, you can't touch this. God gave me joy. God gave me hope. You didn't give that to me. So you can't take that from me. That's the first point today. First point today is live zealously with no fear. Verses 13 and 14. So you live zealously with no fear. Number two, you live worshipfully with a clear conscience. Verses 15 and 16. Look again at that. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What does it mean to live worshipfully? Well, it's really what we've already been talking about. What do you ascribe worth and value to? The truth of the matter is, everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. 
I don't care if you're religious or not. You're worshiping something because you're hardwired in your DNA by God to be a worshiper. So are you worshiping your hobby? Are you worshiping your career? Are you worshiping your education? Are you worshiping your kids? Are you? I, I don't know. Like, what are you worshiping? What do you care about and talk about the most? Is it your God who created you? And who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you and save you and buy you back out of a life of slavery to sin, of your own passions, that never satisfies? The point of this passage is, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy. And here's the thing, the world is offended by that. I was watching a movie with my boys this weekend called Pilgrim's Progress. You've all heard of it. I don't, I don't think anyone has probably not heard, at least heard of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book that was written 340 years ago by a man who was in jail for preaching Jesus Christ. And, and he talks about Vanity Fair, right? On, on this journey to, to the celestial city, he goes across the Vanity Fair. And in the Vanity Fair, the whole world is there. They're selling all this stuff. Like, hey, what do you, whatever you want, whatever you desire, we have it for you in abundance. You can get everything your heart desires here from the world. And the Christian, pilgrim, shouts out, you don't have anything I want. I don't want anything. And what happens? They arrest him. Why? Because he did nothing. What, you don't want what we have to offer? You want nothing? They were offended by that. You don't want this, this entertainment piece? You don't want this pleasure? You don't want this, 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 uh, this salary? You don't want that lifestyle? And they arrested him. They threw him in jail. Simply because he didn't want what they had, and they were offended by that. He was arrested for doing nothing, for not fitting in. And that's what this passage is talking about. You can be zealous for good works. The world is still going to be, at, at the end of the day, if they're honest, they don't like that. Because they see you're different. What Peter is saying is, you be so zealous for good works most of the time, hey, they're going to just look away because they really have nothing negative to say about you. We have to stop being people in church who give the world a reason to put their, put their thumbs down and their noses down at our Savior Jesus Christ. But the only way we actually become people who are consistent, who are loving, who aren't hiding a whole bunch of skeletons in the closet, the only way we do that is by focusing on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just like verses 17 and 18 point us to, which we're getting to. You look at what Jesus did for you, what you have seen Him do, what you have heard, and you share that with other people. Adoration leads to action. Adoration of your Savior Jesus Christ leads you to action. So enough of the thoughts and prayers, right? How about loving your neighbors, loving action and prayers? That's what we're called to do. When we do that, we start making a difference. It's, a, it's, it's really sad to me when, when you ask a Christian, hey, hey, what is, why are you a Christian? What is, what is the reason that you're a Christian, right? 
When someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, do it out of gentleness and respect, right? You have to have something to say, right? What if it's just, well, I went to a Promise Keepers event in 1994 and really had a great experience. I heard a camp evangelist preach an awesome sermon back in 05. What kind of a testimony is that? How about your daily walk? What is God doing in your life right now? If He's not doing anything for you right now, then can you please go back to your testimony of what Jesus did for you on the cross? Think about that. Meditate on that. Get in His Word and go out and love someone. Go out and share. There are hurting people just like those, those rebellious, broken kids who get radicalized. They're out there everywhere with no friends, loners. They're lonely. They're, they're, they're sad. They're confused. They're looking, for, they're looking for an answer. Everywhere. And we have the answer right here. It's Jesus Christ, our living God. So you can tell I'm fired up. I'm, I got passionate about this passage after a while. So long this time, I was just like, well, how does this fit with where we're at right now? And it fits perfectly. It took me a while to get there, but it fits perfectly. We don't need to just give people facts. And I'm all for apologetics. I love apologetics. That's one of my favorite things. Uh, but facts are cold. And when you're sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for you, that's personal. That's not cold. It's not cold at all. The last point here today is live trustingly on your living hope. Verses 17 and 18. Just trust God. Focus on what you can change and don't worry about what you can't change. You can't change the world on your own, but you can love your neighbor. Be the church. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Things always end up out of order when we place them out of order. Do things in the proper order. If you're not fitting into your college clothes, it's because you've probably been eating a whole bunch of stuff and not exercising, right? If you're in debt, it's probably because you're spending money that you don't have on things you don't need. So what would you do to get out of debt? You do things in the proper order. I'm going to save money and not buy that. In the Christian life, how do we make a difference in this world? How do we show love to people? How do we change all the brokenness that's around us? It's not by saying, ooh, that's wrong. It's by pointing out to them a better way. With gentleness and respect. With love in your heart. Because this is what Jesus has done for me. And I want you to have what I have. So I'm not going to stop talking about it. The motivation for all of this, again, goes back to verse 18. Look at it with me. For Christ also, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He did that for you. He suffered for you, and he's coming again for all of us who know him. So how are you doing with sharing that? Jesus suffered for me so I wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of my sin anymore. And I can't get over that. 
Jesus is changing my heart, and he's the only one that can change a heart. The church shines a bright light in a dark world when we zealously live for doing good and, and sharing Jesus. And when people like you, just like all of you that are here today, when you start living zealously with no fear, when you start living worshipfully with a clear conscience, and you have nothing to hide, when you start trusting your living hope, Jesus Christ, that's when you make a difference. Would you stand up? What I want, I want you to think about today is not how you can just solve a problem by putting a band-aid over something. But I want, to, I want you to think about how you can actually speak to someone's heart. The only way you can speak to someone's heart is by giving them Jesus, sharing what Jesus has done for so I, I'm challenging every single Christian here as a member of a church. I'm, I'm challenging you to think of someone who is hurting, someone who is lost. And this week, have a conversation with that person about what Jesus has done for you. Ask them, how are you doing? What a great opportunity to talk about deep things in life. Our entire nation is talking about how broken this world is, right? I've been thinking about it all week. You've probably been thinking about it. I guarantee you, people who don't know Jesus, they have fear about it. Every time they send their kids to school, they have fear. So ask them, how are you doing with all this? And listen. Keep asking questions. Ask questions after questions. Hear them. What do they say? What are their fears? And then you can share what Jesus has done for you. And how he, he gives you hope. He gives you strength. Lovingly trust the living hope. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.